0: Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two, three, four!
1: People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean, that's
0: just, like, the rules of feminism.
1: That diversity is, like, the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with.
0: Agenda
2: with Women in the Arts. You're listening to Agenda by Women in the Arts. I'm Katie Winton. And I'm Isabel Hall Thorburn.
1: We'll be with you for the next half an hour...
2: So coming up in about 15 minutes, we'll be chatting migration in our current global context with curator Inika Dane and artist Shireen Tawil in regards to a group exhibition called Know Your Neighbour that's happening at the Lockup, which is an artist-run initiative in Newcast- Newcastle. Newcastle. <laughs>
1: right now, though, it's April, and according to Donald Trump, that means it's National Sexual Assault Awareness and Prevention Month. Um, I thought maybe we should talk about that, but of course we shouldn't because he's been accused of sexually assaulting more than 15 women in a series of allegations that unraveled in the run-up to the election. And I'm sure many of you have heard the leaked footage of him in 2005 where he was basically using net language that normalised sexual violence. So, nah. (laughs) Um, Instead, we're going to talk about a really wonderful article that came out about a week ago in the New York Times called Work Is
2: My Self-Care. Um, looking at the meaning and origins of the self-care phenomenon. Yeah, I've been talking about this article non-stop since I read it and I keep being that really annoying person that's sending links to people that have probably got a million things that they need to read that are more important than what I'm, you know, saying to them. You really need to read this, read it, read it. But I just can't, yeah, I get way too excited about something when I learn something new. Yeah.
1: And I, <laughs> can you explain why you liked it so much though? Like I get you really like working Um, but I just read the title like self-care work is my self-care and I jumped to so many conclusions because I was thinking like this person writes for the New York Times and I just kind of my mind went a little bit you know she's probably went to an Ivy League um, Ivy League college she has this glamorous job and she lives in New York City she probably has a nanny and she stops at Whole Foods and it's like And she's going to turn around and write this article being like, you need to work more because that will make you like feel more fulfilled. I was like, had a little Ali Wong rager and was just like, I don't want to lean in. I want to lie down. So don't tell me that like working is going to like... it'd be the equivalent of like having a bath.
2: Yeah, okay, but you love naps. Um.
1: I do, I want naps. I want more people to write articles saying everyone you should nap, needs more naps.
2: Well, I just feel like it articulated the losing yourself in work thing really well. Like she kind of talks about, I've never really... Thought about self care as being patriarchal or stemming from a rescuer place. And that article briefly touched on the rescuer, which was introduced in the late 1800s for the treatment of hysteria. And I've never actually connected that to the patriarchal notion that women just need to lie down and not actually try to change the structures that are exhausting them. And I thought that was really well articulated. And I mean, I guess, of course, it's going to be different for some people. Like, some people need naps, some people really lose themselves when they're thinking about something else, which for me, I find. I just had this moment of breathing out of being like, Oh yeah. Okay. This is exactly what my self care is, is to work more.
1: And, it, and it, yeah. And it works for you as well. I did yeah. think, I think one thing that I thought was that that whole rescuer thing that like Virginia Woolf was prescribed, like, yeah. lots of women during that time were prescribed this rescuer and it made them crazy. Like, yeah. It really did. And because of course it would, um, it, they basically told women to go to bed, like and like mm. every time they had a meal, that they should go and have a nap for two hours after. Which I am all about, but like <laughs> it doesn't work for everybody. That would,
2: yeah, not work for me
1: but at all. But also, it's a very, it's specific to a um, it's for a very specific, um, group of women. It's for white women, and yeah, like, exactly during that time and of a, so- uh, a certain socio economic class and so for a lot of women there isn't that option of like take a few hours off work and go to do some you know go get a massage yeah
2: there was this really great quote in the article that said it should come as no surprise that self-care as co-opted from black women and marketed largely to white women has come to be synonymous with idleness for white women taking care of oneself has historically meant abstaining from work I I thought that was...
1: set you right up for that quote. Yeah, (laughs) you did, didn't you? (laughs) Well, I can tell that it piqued your interest and it is something that we have talked a lot about um, in Women in the Arts, um, particularly in terms of music as self-care. And I think in the aftermath of Trump getting elected... I didn't, I'm not going to say that we invented this idea of a playlist <laughs> <laughs> for self care, but a lot of um, there were lots. I saw a lot of like self care playlists, and so that was like I thought that was a nice community minded way of you know getting achieving solidarity and. Yeah, self-care.
2: Yeah, it felt like a really important, light-hearted way to instigate mm. connectivity for us, especially because the sense of community is at the forefront of most things that we do. So if you missed that, we we released a self-care tips and songs playlist that was meant to be people sharing their self-care tips and a song that like resets them.
1: It's really good <laughs> and it's like super sweet. Some people have terrible music taste, <laughs> but they're like really cool. Yeah, it was I'll a very be- erratic playlist. Yeah, I liked it. Um, But I think... I liked it because I'm not particularly good at what, you know, is advertised as self-care and I I find myself, I think you're the same, like we're not not great at it. No. And, um, And I find myself just like looking at these women who know how to, self-care innately it it seems like um you know they know how to have enough sleep and have a balanced diet and a balanced life and I think those they seem like real people to me like if you know how to look after yourself you're like not just an adult you're like a fully formed human being and so I'm always like oh how do they do it (laughs) um so and I think that we Personally, I only really heard of self-care like maybe a year ago or something like that. And I thought that it had just kind of crept into the American lexicon, but it's been a part of American history for a really long time and it's it's interesting that it's inextricably linked to citizenship. So even uh, in terms of slavery in 1850 in 1851, slavery was justified. By noting a debasement of the mind, which has rendered the people of Africa unable to make um, to take care of themselves, and so that was a kind of they can't be a, it justified slavery, and almost like implied their humanity because. Um, of this idea of they they weren't able to perform self-care, um and that is like people um slave, people that were enslaved from Africa. The same logic was applied to Eastern European immigrants coming to America who were deemed unfit citizens because they lacked the ideas and attitudes which befit men to take up the problem of self-care and self-government. So they're using that language, like in mm. law, yeah, to um to justify racist policies and slavery um, and also I didn't realise this either self-care in America was also required a certain amount of um, oh it was like also used to justify why I don't know how you can say this but it was justified used to justify why women shouldn't be allowed to vote I can't quite make that connection I can't make the connection for any of them but yeah. <laughs> but it was just like yeah and I think that like in America, and obviously that means everywhere else, um, there's always required a certain amount of performance. A person has to be able not only to care for herself, but to provide society, but to prove to society that she's doing it. And I thought that was interesting because I feel like any time that I've ever done something that seems like self-care, I'm like, hey, everybody, I made a soup. Look at this, and you see it on like Instagram, yeah. things like that. Like you see people this like performance of self-care.
2: Yeah, well, I think social media definitely doesn't help for the. I guess for the nuances of what people need in terms of self-care. And I think maybe it's just a different thing for everyone and maybe the language around self-care entering the mainstream kind of corporate... Space is really dangerous because it doesn't acknowledge people's different needs and different mental health requirements as well. Mm. I think that can be quite problematic. Like, I don't want to have baths. You want to have baths. I <laughs> want have to baths. I <laughs> <wanna> work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but I think th- that maybe just what we're talking about maybe ignores like the origins of self care yeah. as a kind of it was a community. It started as a kind of community coming together to look after each other in queer communities and for people of color. Yeah. Self care was about coming together and. It was a pushback against that dehumanising language of self-care. And, and now it's like, no, you need to buy this bubble bath. Yeah, well, that's,
2: yeah, that's something that that article talks about as well is the, the kind of individualistic notion of self-care now rather than something that is needed to form community. And, mm. and caring maybe shouldn't be all put onto one person. You shouldn't have to care for yourself solely all the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But if you do need to care for yourself solely all the time.
0: <laughs> no, then, I don't. Yeah. Anyway.
1: Yeah. In the um, aftermath of the Orlando, I don't know if it's called a terrorist attack or the Orlando um, cl- club bombing attack. Anyway, um, uh, these queer activists came together and made a self quick care quiz oh yeah and it's so good like you might look at it and be like this is so common sense but sometimes when you're really run down and you're overworked or emotionally drained you need to be like have you had a glass of water yeah how when was the last time you blah 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 and as you go through the quiz it gets a little bit more Um, interrogatory or it gets a bit deeper into like what might be making you feel not so good. Um, So I'll put a link up to it and maybe you'll be like, oh my God, (laughs) grow up. But I think it's actually really, really good.
2: Yeah. Look, I didn't mean that not everyone has to, that everyone needs a community around them all the time. I just mean Mm. that maybe our infrastructures around things like care and different communities in different spaces should be more kind of like inclusive or Should be a shared thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Should we take a song?
1: Well, yeah, because I think, and I think we should play Kendrick Lamar's new song. um, Humble is the new feminist anthem. (laughs) Or is it? (laughs) Let us know in our new segment, Is This Feminist? (laughs) 0409 It's not our new segment. (laughs) We would never do anything like that. But we do want to hear what you think because people really, actually I did as well, like watch the video to this song and we're like, oh my God, it's so empowering. Um, But Lauren Roseborn wrote an interesting article on The Conversation about the false feminism of um, Humble. So he uses the word bitch 40 times. um, And irregardless, the media was, like, very quick to call it a feminist triumph. Um, It's kind of like Bono winning, like, the Woman of the Year Award or whatever it is. It's (laughs) like, this is, like, he's done so much for feminism. Um, But according to Time... Listeners were blessed with a song offering up positive body language messages. Oh, really? Like, he's just, like, pointing at her butt and Uh, like, yeah, stretch marks, which, like, I like, but I also don't think it's, like, this wonderful new thing. But why do we
2: need Kendrick Lamar to tell us that stretch marks are okay? He needs to bless us with that knowledge.
1: (laughs) Um, Vogue also... um, has us to believe that humble suggests the true beauty can come down to peeling back the layers of carefully constructed persona
2: aww thank thanks you very Kendrick
1: much, thank you very much Vogue <laughs>
2: yeah. I want to read
1: Vogue, Teen Vogue um, I know we I know <laughs> you love Teen
2: Vogue let's play the song okay I'm
3: sorry let's go to this is I- Kendrick
2: Lamar with humble
3: we get a weakness you gotta see this yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember syrup sandwiches and crime allowances Vanessa nigga with some counterfeits But now I'm counting this Parmesan with my accountant lives In fact, I'm down this this say with my boo They taste like Kool-Aid for the analyst. Girl, I can buy your Westie girl with my base stuff Ooh, that pussy good Won't you sit it on my taste buds? I get way too petty Won't you let me do the extras Pull up on your block and break it down We playing Tetris AM to the PM PM out your per diem, you just got to hate them folk if i quit your beam, i still rock mercedes funk. if i quit this season i still be the greatest funk. my left stroke just went viral right stroke pull a baby in a spiral soprano c we like to keep it on the high note it's levels to it you and i know bitch be humble hold bitch sit down hold up hold up be little, humble bitch, up, bitch, sit down Bitch, sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Sit down Be humble Bitch, sit down humble Sit down Who that nigga thinking that he frontin' on me? Get the fuck off my stage, I'm the semi Get the fuck off my dick, that ain't right a play fucking up your whole life i'm so fucking sick and tired of the photoshop show me something natural like roll with your pride show me something natural like ass with some stretch marks still i take you down right on your mama's couch and polo side. hey this shit way too crazy hey you do not amaze me hey i blew cool from aca hey, obama just paged me hey i don't fabricate it hey most of y'all they bout it, ayy. She elaborated, ayy. This that Grey Poupon, that A.V. on that TED Talk, ayy. Watch my soul speak. You let the meds talk, ayy. If I kill a nigga, it won't be the alcohol, ayy. I'm the realest nigga after all, bitch. Be humble. Hold bitch. Sit down. Hold be humble. Hold bitch. Sit down. be humble. Hold bitch. Sit down. Hold up, be humble. Hold bitch. Sit down. Hold be humble. Sit down, down. holla, bitch. bitch, sit whala, down, whala, low. Low. be humble, bitch. Sit down bitch, humble, bitch, sit down,
1: So that was Humble by Kendrick Lamar. Katie, that was the first time you saw it. Was it feminism? (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding, that's not a segment we're doing. I really need to reiterate that. (laughs) We're joined now by curator Inika Dane and artist Shireen Tawil to talk about Know Your Neighbour, an exhibition
2: happening now at the lockup in Newcastle. Thanks so much for joining us, Inika and Shireen. Um, Inika, you're the curator of the exhibition. Can you talk to us about what the idea was for the exhibition more broadly?
4: Mm. Hi. Well, (laughs) believe it or not, the idea came about after um, our (laughs) lovely former Prime Minister, Tony Abbott, announced that we'd have a one-off intake of 12,000 refugees from Syria uh, a couple of years back in 2015. Uh, So it's been in the pipeline for a while. And I got thinking about what that means for Australia. Uh, We have a history of multiculturalism and... Uh, despite that, despite a lot of our parents coming from other places, uh, we have a lot of racial tension as well, not to mention um, our fraught history with Indigenous Australians. So uh, I got to thinking about the fear involved with other people, people we don't know, and, you know, how can we talk about this in a more poetic way? Um, How do we think about this as individuals? And, um, you know, you can't just wait for... The policy makers or um, you know, the ministers, to um, make big decisions on this and follow them. It's often the, the, you know, the emerging artists, or you know, the creatives, or the smaller people who are doing really courageous works and um, talking about this in really literal but also really abstract ways. So it um, uh, it it translates and and gets a message through in uh, non didactic ways, I suppose.
1: I think that um, maybe we're a little bit... Uh, we're a step behind in those kind of culturally and understanding, like, uh, new migratory patterns and how that, you know, affects our communities. And so mm. um, it's interesting to think about those new um, those new communities coming to Australia and allowing that kind of poetry and not being, like, in 20 years' time when policy catches up and, mm. you know, education catches up, so...
4: Yeah. Well, it's like the law, which often... Um, Reacts or works in a retrospective way. I mean, I have a background in law, so I think about policy and how that kind of works in the art as well. So I'm a little bit uh, uh, tainted or biased with that (laughs) discipline, I suppose. But, um, you know, look at Germany. They've got more of an open border policy. And I mean, Angela Merkel... Um knows the positives that come with a new population. And I mean, if you want to look at it in an economic sense, which is what everything boils down to these days, there's studies um, done by economists economists around the world that show that if um, if borders were lifted, Uh, full stop and people could move freely that world GDP would double at a modest estimate overnight and that's because people move to a place because they want to they feel safe they want to be prosperous they want their family to be safe and they want to thrive that's just a natural instinct as the animal that we are.
1: Absolutely and it's I think that the title know your neighbor is really interesting for that like there is so much objective data to support migration and the kind of opening of borders but we have this idea that it is a bad thing Mm. and that can only really be broken down by literally talking to someone Mm. next to you and having that empathy and
4: I think we're afraid we're going to be flooded by people from other countries. But, you know, if you look at um, the European Union, Romania is one of the poorer economies of, that are of the member states and there is still a large population of Romanians in Romania. They don't want to leave their family. or It takes a lot to leave your family or the place you were born or, you know, your culture.
1: Absolutely. Maybe we can open this up to Shireen. Now, you seem to be in every single exhibition. I I can't believe how busy you must be. Um, So, yeah, I guess we were wondering how um, your practice
0: relates to this kind of exhibition specie? Absolutely. Um. I guess my practice has stemmed directly from living within the diaspora in that I am constantly looking between my local community and how that connects with the global um, and p- particularly through the platform of the mosque and sacred space and that saying how the mosque in the west like in Australia, really is this beautiful reflection of hybridity that connects um, and crosses culture between um, the West and the East. And I feel that Islam in Australia uh, beautifully reflects um, cultural synchronism within our greater Australian communities that it hasn't really been acknowledged to the point and I feel like it could really grow from yeah right and
1: is that what your work is
0: definitely so i i work particularly through copper and i feel the the traditions of the coppersmiths extend directly from the east and for me it's coming from the place of the middle east and particularly lebanon and my connections to tradition and how tradition is reworked and shifts and changes through places of movement. And this comes from migration, of course, but it also extends to how today we're in an age of migration and the refugees, the biggest of our time in in considering um, a remake up of community. <coughs> And saying that, so I I really reassess what tradition means and how open it is to reworking in the contemporary. So by reworking my traditional processes as a coppersmith, I'm able to push the the language and push the Islamic decorative arts in my work. And that really reflects a conversation um, in Australia of this multiple trans culture that goes on every day and whether that's in a sacred space like a mosque or whether it's um within with your neighbor of course or within any real everyday situation there's this great exchange and i find that very enriching and a great place to explore conceptually
2: you were talking about this notion of um, a diasporic experience kind of informing your work inica i wanted to ask you are all of the artists in the exhibition kind of do they all share that um understanding of of a diasporic kind of experience in Australia
4: yeah there's um, there's nine artists in the exhibition Um, one is a collective which is the refugee art project and that's probably um, the most extreme and with um, the concepts I like to work with I try and uh, bring in the the really literal as well as the really abstract. So we have the Refugee Art Project and people from um, Sri Lanka and Pakistan and Iraq. And then we have um, uh, Marish Iqbal. Uh, She's from Pakistan. She lives and works in Sydney. We have Abdul Abdallah, where he was born in Australia, but he has um, his parents were migrants. Um, We have Shireen (laughs) who's with us just now and her parents are from Lebanon. Uh, Ella Rubelli, she is Australian, but she's worked a lot overseas. She's doing a feature film at the moment on um, permanent inundation of lands in the small island states, so migration arising from climate change. Um, Yeah, we have an Australian artist who's living in Austria, so he's been witnessing this sheer number of migrants working through. Everyone has either a family or a sought-out experience of migration or, um, yeah, movement or multicultural background. And I guess um, that was, uh, in a way, part of the selection criteria for the artists, yeah.
1: Yeah, and it sounds like your selection kind of reflects how different migratory experiences can be. Like, there are so many different ways to experience migration and... Um, and so that, that pro- I imagine that would present a lot of challenges as a curator to kind of do service and give space to those different stories and the, yeah, the diversity of those stories.
4: Yeah, I guess um, I didn't want the exhibition to be alienating. I feel like you polarise people if you present a really... Um, I didn't want to present what you see on the news, I guess, people feel helpless in the face of crisis a lot of the time. So there are a lot of um, really poetic, gentle, stunning works in the exhibition, but there's also a a video, Hannah Firmage, she's from New Zealand, but she did a film, The Villawood Project, where it was an intervention kind of on the edge of Villawood Detention Centre, and it's really hard-hitting and a lot of people um, find it so confronting they can't stay in it for that long then we have Elleru Belly, this stop-motion film that is charcoal on paper it looks like a flock of birds or um molecules moving throughout a, a, a darkened space so it's talking about you know the idea as humans or as beings as animals you know um we're constantly on the move and seeking out better pastures, and and we all have arrived in a new space. Um, we all have the experience of arriving somewhere where we feel the foreigner. Uh, it's not an alien experience. People moving to other places uh, shouldn't appear or feel alien or threatening. I suppose. Yeah.
2: Shireen, you have work in an exhibition coming up at Foray that you're <laughs> part of a panel discussion.
4: Oh, no,
1: the panel is for, it's for the the Wheeler Centre.
4: Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, That's this weekend. It's Merwish Iqbal is one of the panellists. But Shireen does have an an exhibition opening at Verge on Thursday, but similar themes. Mm. But, yeah, she was just telling me about it before.
1: Also at 4A, similar themes. Yeah. <laughs> There's yeah. Yeah. so many exhibitions. There's so <laughs> many
4: <going. laughs>
0: Maybe I guess it's so topical at the moment. Um, it was an example of Know Your Neighbour, but this real instigation of reassessing what we are now, and that's really about a connection of the local with the global, and uh, it's really great to see in Australia these conversations coming out and exploring it in through so many different mediums and practices. We might... Take a track now. Yeah,
1: definitely. So, so I think is, we've run um, out
2: of talking time. We've run out of talking time.
1: <laughs> um, and so, um, Shireen, you picked a song by um, called "The Past Becomes You." Yeah, Omar Musa. How Elfresh the Lion and Leo, who I just was like, where has he been for ages? <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Can you tell us a little bit about this last track?
0: Definitely, um, Omar Musa is an incredible wordsmith. He's locally based in Sydney, but from Canberra, and I, I really admire how he can create our um, expressions that we are using visually with this idea of. The trans culture and belonging and living within our australian identities um, though through such rhyme and charisma yeah it's a true wordsmith and i find him very inspiring
1: brilliant well thank you very much for coming on today and so the exhibition will be on
4: until the 23rd of april up yeah. in newcastle yeah right. at the lockup we'll <laughs> pop a
2: link up on the agenda show page in thank case you. you missed any of the conversation Shireen and Inika, thank you so much for coming in to talk to us today. Thank you.
1: Thank you. This is The Past Becomes You.
5: Yeah, yeah. Check, check, let me tell you about a father and son feud. Me and him were making out a war like Sun Tzu. In our calmer moments, he was vibing off the drum kick flow and I might check one, two. He would hear the freestyles that his son do. Told him it reminded him of days in the cumple, making up rhymes called pontoons. Little kids in the villages. Kinda funny how the past becomes you. It's a cycle. Round and round, back and forth like the tidal. Raised from the tribal Drums of the past to the black on the vinyl it from the day of my arrival Is it a surprise that I fly over oceans When my ancestors were sailors and pirates Trading and floating, boats full of spices Now I pack trunks with a crate full of flavors Some vocals, Woo! did they know it when they planted the seed That the poetry had grown into a family tree Many fruits, many flavours, the canopy to shade us The music in the leaves help the planet to breathe We're passing on our breath to our children, the brilliant. Diamond cut hope and resilience. Heaven lit legacy, I'm trying to be a better me. The past isn't now, the now is ahead of me. Uh The look in the eyes of Captain Cook when he couldn't come to grips when the
3: tips Nicks hit the wooden drum, white feet lift up the deck Hit the sound like waves didn't cause as much of a ripple effect Live with the spirits and nah, I'm never lonely with from God ceremonies the master ceremonies Sing like the church choir without acquiring the Holy Ghost The higher being like being a roller coaster A songbird singing wrong words No church in the wild but plenty of churches in the conquer Moving onwards but come back to where i run to Kind of funny how the past will become you Best to be a part of Kanye West Who question the artistry It's a new page, but old feeling when the fuck comes With the 808's a new age log drum